You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. Only one more week left of spring camp. Pretty crazy, guys. It's gone by pretty fast, right? Very quickly. Uh, you got a Tuesday, you got a Thursday, and you got a Friday practice left, and that is it. Uh, of course, we had the spring game last weekend. That's what we talked about then. This was the penultimate uh spring week of you know football there's only one week left keely so yeah it's a little crazy pretty crazy so we'll talk about uh what we saw this week what we're expecting to see next week we're going to talk about uh the mixing and matching we finally saw on usc's offensive line we were promised that uh at the beginning of camp and we finally saw it so we'll give you our evaluations from that Uh, we also have we also have some transfer portal news we'll get into that like always you can call us 5124 tunnel we love hearing from you guys our intern micah is standing by to screen your calls you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. I believe we are live on YouTube and Periscope Twitter thing right now, but yes. we're not live on Facebook. So apologies for that. This will probably be a later upload if you're watching on Facebook. Uh, but I believe we are live on the other two. Might be able to put up your question, so we'll see about that. But like I said, guys, a uh, new week uh, to evaluate. Shotgun, let's start with you. Uh, what did you see at practice this week? I mean, the, the fact that you finally saw the, the mixing, mixing and matching of the offensive line, that definitely stood out. Uh, we're seeing some mix, mixing and matching of other positions as well in the DB group. Uh, starting for the spring game, actually, you saw Kalen Bullock move over to, to cornerback because of how thin they are at that position. And just seeing some guys move around, they're still working with those three safeties and putting those guys in different positions to see where they fit best. So, you know, Clay Helton talked a little bit about the fact that they were going to do this the last two weeks. Now that they've had the spring game kind of the you know the final two weeks that they were going to move some guys around and see what they got and see you know what what skill sets can potentially fit in different positions if they need to move guys in case you have some injuries during the season or just you know if you see something that really fits well you go maybe we make a make a change going into the fall rather than having to make an emergency change at a later date Mm -hmm. ryan any thoughts about practice this week so i would say we thought the first three weeks, they kind of built up to that spring game. And then we weren't really sure how it was going to sort of taper off a little bit. I think, you know, we were watching the instant analysis reports from you uh, and Shotgun. Maybe a little tapering off, you saw. But for the most part, I feel like they kind of kept that intensity a little bit kind of moving forward. They're going to try to, like, finish strong throughout spring football. We have three practices left, like we said. We're going to do Tuesday. Uh, Thursday and Friday. I think the last day, Keeley's going to be in helmets only. So I think there's shotgun one practice left in full pads. Is that what we have? 
That's by my count. So, you know, they're allowed eight of them, and I believe we've had seven so far. So I'm curious to see which of the practices they actually use that for. You know, do you save it up and, hey, Friday we're going to go scrimmage hard? And, uh, you know, I think they should probably do that and and say, let's finish with a bang. And because they're doing it back-to-back days, Thursday, Friday, then you go into Thursday and you say, let's do an actual walkthrough like we would do on a normal Friday in the fall. Let's go through the the motions of of how this is going to look when we get there. And then let's Saturday or on Friday of this week, let's treat it like a Saturday in the fall. Let's go and be ready to, to go and have a, a full scrimmage and you know be able to get that final practice, get some good tape that you can build off going into, into the summer, into the, the workouts that you're going to have, and just you know the individual stuff that you can do with players, you know the, the teaching portions of it. Let's have a good scrimmage on Friday and, and try to build off of it. That's what I would try to do with it. Um, but I, we'll see on Tuesday if you know if we see pads then uh, or if they just they try to go with the nine practices and you know, maybe not tell the NCAA. Who a, little, a little <laughs> concerned because you guys were talking about it felt like fall practices this past week. So that was the only concern I had. I don't know if you guys feel the same way that it may have just been sort of like a little more going through the motions, a little less. Let's get out there and pound some guys and be physical and be sprint, you know, this new Todd Orlando spring practice kind of stuff. But it wasn't fall in the sense that they were going through the motions. It was more like we didn't see some uh, switch in practice suddenly where it's high intensity and, and they go like Trojan drill. But we did see some goal line situations that were intense. Shotgun, I know you and I uh, were crediting the defense for how well they played in that section. So it, they did have some intensity. It's not like they were going through the motions, I would say. Yeah, I don't think they were going through the motions. I, I think that the, the practice plan was much more similar to a fall fall camp practice or even a season practice um, where it was more routine than some of the things we've seen where they have switched some things up this this spring and, and created some some different environments, I, I think, for the players. You know, put them in different situations. It's not just, hey, well, today's going to be a situational day, so we're going to do third downs so are going to do red zone no before they did you know the goal line those short yard situations uh, that one practice they went to a, a drill that they haven't done before uh, at least while we've been able to watch of a, a three-on-three line drill you know going against each other at the goal line with a running back and a fourth tackler trying to to stop that guy from from getting into the end zone so I think and that kind of changed the momentum of that individual practice and, and you know enabled them to then be able to to be able to build off that and when they went to those short yards situations and continue so we didn't really see that type of thing this week which is perfectly fine I don't think that there's an issue with it I don't think there was lack of days ago or anything but I think that there was, it was a more routine practice and the, the intensity ratcheted up when they got into the competition periods and I'm sure Liam Jimmins words uh, you know helped stoke that a little bit and telling the defense bit. that they have no juice mm-hmm. you know you got no juice today and those are fighting words for the defense because that's that's what they they thrive on is having <laughs> juice so um, you know I think the defense responded well and, and came back and the goal line situation at the end of um of tuesday's practice or uh wednesday what saturday's practice I mean, yes. all my days are long. All they're all it's all messed up yeah on saturday's practice um were I, I thought was really high energy from from the defense in particular and clay helton tr- telling them uh you know after they got the first stop all right let's get another one another one and they tried to get to, to five straight stops but Drake London made a catch that you may have seen on uh, on their social Twitter. media accounts. It was pretty pretty good uh, pretty nice. with one handed catch on the on the on the edge of the end zone with a goal line touchdown for for the offense to get one on the defense. Mm-hmm. There. That, that was that Odell Beckham Jr. kind of catch. Yeah. Bit, yeah. Very much similar to that one. Yeah, yeah. he's he's really good. 
He is. Uh, and that actually reminds me, on Wednesday's practice, we saw a lot of fire from Clay Helton. He was yelling at the players after they scored a touchdown, the offensive guys, get off the field, jog, we want intensity. A lot of F-bombs were dropped. And I think uh, Chris Trevino made this point, but I think he was trying to uh, produce that same intensity that we've seen the defense just produce every practice. So uh, like like we said, Ryan, I don't think it was going through the motions. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay. That was, I mean, that's the one concerned. thing. It was a little concerned, but I think for the most part, if you want to look at the the four weeks of the five are done for USC spring football, yes, I think every one of us, if you would have asked us, like if you would have said, like, where are you right now with spring football, you feel pretty good about where USC is. It's it looks better than what we've seen in years past, and you feel like they're kind of getting ready and ramping up towards the season. Where some of the springs maybe not have really been there. I feel like this spring they've done enough and. I really took whatever Todd Orlando said to the heart, like, you know, from a few weeks ago when he talked about really trying to uh, change the culture of the program. Didn't have an opportunity last year. He was able to do that this year. I take him at his word. I feel like they've really been able to do that. So this is a team. They spent four weeks of spring. They uh, Usually you got like a week off for spring uh, break. They didn't do this this year. One week left. I feel like they've did, they have got better uh, through the spring. Yeah, I mean – We've also heard from the coaches and the players, too, that not having a spring camp last year, obviously with the pandemic, they're coming out every day with intensity. I think we heard from Craig Nivar this week, and he said usually around like practice 9, 10, 11, that's when it starts to die down a little bit. Guys get a little complacent. He said that's not the case of this camp because guys uh, at this point last year were tearing through their Netflix accounts <laughs> and not uh, tearing through like the pads and whatnot. So I, I think there's also a part of it where they feel very grateful just to be at practice and playing. So uh, yeah. without any COVID issues so far. For the most part. Real quick. Yes. As far as with the, the coaches, we've heard from different coaches, a couple coaches each week. Would Craig Nivar be, he's got to be up there, right? Like as far as like. What are we evaluating? I mean, I'm just saying how fun the guy was to talk to. Like <laughs> he was pretty fun. I guess so. I, we mentioned this on instant analysis, but he called us all out for not having our Zoom cameras on. He was like, we tell the players that we got to see your faces. You guys got to turn on your cameras. He so, comes out with some fire. It was, was good. There was some fire. And he yeah. also was like, why are you guys talking to me? You don't need to talk to me. And we're like, well, we kind of want to talk to you. But yes. Yeah. Uh, but Chuck, we mentioned this on Instant Analysis on Saturday, uh, a byproduct of having physical practices are injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, we saw a lot of guys out. We don't fully know, uh, but I'm just going to list it off from what we said on Instant Analysis because it is kind of noteworthy. So uh, who didn't practice on Saturday was Britton Allen, Josh Follow, and Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson was out for the Wednesday practice. We originally thought it was for uh, class, but then the fact that he wasn't dressed out on Saturday is a little eyebrow raising. And then Josh Follow came out on Wednesday, didn't play on Saturday, so we'll see about that. And then Britton Allen, I believe that's new there. Uh, and then during practice, we saw uh, Michael Jackson get carted off. We saw Liam Jimmins come out with, I think, an ankle injury. Tua Steven Nomura came out with an injury. Isaac Taylor Stewart came out with an injury. And Brandon Campbell also came out with an injury. So a lot of guys are banged up at this point, which for USC, at least it's good that it's heading toward the end of spring. And those were just the new additions yes. because there were still some guys that didn't participate in the spring game or else left the spring game as well. So, you know, USC does have – it's kind of a little bit of a walking wound right now, which I think is okay. You know, it's unfortunate that – you have a couple guys that have gone down with season-ending injuries with Brandon Peely, with the Achilles, ruptured Achilles, um, and then Mohassan and Max Williams both down with ACL injuries. That's unfortunate. I don't think you can chart, chart that to, and say, well, that's because of you know having physical practices because two of those, uh, as Chris Torino pointed out, is the fact that, uh, that you know, those were non-contact injuries. 
And the rest of them, you know, you're going to take some bangs and bruises, but I think it's more important to have that physicality and build that mentality, that culture that they've been trying to create, particularly on the defensive side. I think we're seeing it. Now, obviously, we can't make a full ju judging of it until the fall and we see how they do against another team and see how well they tackle then. If they're in the more physical team uh, against an opponent, then, you know, you'll say, you know, those those bangs and bruises they took, the bumps and bruises, you know, those blue patches on their arms and stuff from, from getting beat up a little bit, that's okay. You know, it, it, look what it's done for them in the fall. That's going to be the real judge of it. But, uh, you know, I don't think we can, can judge it fully yet, but I think that it's it definitely going in the right direction for them. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, also worth noting that usually on instant analysis, we have to clarify, like, what they were dressed in. Like, oh, shoulder pads only, jerseys, full pads. We've not addressed it because we've only seen full pads. And so that's definitely a change for us there. So at least uh, uh, there's some improvement there. It's, uh, a, it's a good shift, I think. And it, 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 something that a lot of fans were worried about before, not as much this year. And if you look, I mean, where would you guys say the number of injuries? We've seen a bunch of them. A guy like Mohassan, you know, blows out his knee. Didn't look like there was a contact thing there. Like, would you attribute a lot of these injuries to full pads, kind of full contact, or just sort of like it's football, like things are going to happen? I mean, I mean, like the Brandon Campbell looks like a hamstring, so can you really, that's not really right. contact, stuff like that. I mean, it's a mixed bag, you know. I, I didn't fully see what happened on the Brandon Peely play, um, but he was going to be before that. So, I don't know. Shotgun, what are your thoughts? No, I, I think that a, a lot of these, now some of them are, you know, Isaac Taylor Stewart injuring a shoulder. Shoulder injuries are contact injuries. But like you say, Brandon Campbell, if that's a hamstring injury, Gary Bryant Jr. is a hamstring injury. Yeah. You know, those are now you need to work your way into shape and be able to go full speed. And maybe that's something they haven't done in the past. So maybe that's part of it. Brandon Campbell hasn't been here in the past. So you can't really blame that on that, though. So I think that you take these bumps and bruises, though, and you go with it if it's creating and changing the way that you're going about your practices, the culture of the team, the physicality. If those things are really changing, then you definitely take these and you take it with a grain of salt and say, it's good to have these and have them happen in the spring. Everyone should be healthy other than the three guys we mentioned that with the season-ending injuries, everyone else should be healthy uh, from the, you know, the contact injuries in the fall. And from the sound of it, the NCAA looks like they're recommending that, you know, they're, that they're going to pull back even more on contact practices yeah. uh, starting this fall. So we'll see if that legislation goes through, if, if those uh, recommendations are approved by the, the NCAA uh, committees. So if, if that happens, then you, it was great for USC to get this in now because it's yeah. not going to be something they could do in the fall. And that's something that, that Tarlando even mentioned before is that, you know, the spring is the time to do this. You know, it's the time to put in those physical practices because, you know, especially last year, they had a shortened camp and they, they go into it and, you know, they try to do a little bit of that in the first week or two and realize we got to start getting ready for our opponents. So, you know, even though there were a new staff and they wanted to try to change, you know, the way the players kind of went about things, they couldn't really do it to, to the, the full effect because of, you know, the, the weird COVID season and that not having the spring last year. So they've tried to make the most of this spring, and I think they've done a really good job. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, I would say in general, like you want to see the kind of physicality we've seen in spring. And I think a lot of the USC fans were clamoring for that. They wanted to see that. And I think bringing a Tar Orlando, bringing that staff, their mentality is it doesn't matter unless you're in full pads. And I think that was a great, I think it was a great mindset to bring in to practice. Uh, if you listen to Coach Harvey Hyde, we do the Peristyle podcast. 
There's a lot of like former quarterback coaches on the staff and quarterbacks don't get hit in practice. And maybe that's sort of the mentality that's been around for a little while. You think Todd Orlando, Craig Nivar, uh, you know, Dante Williams, all those guys are coming in, Vic Soto, and they're like, we want to hit. We want to make sure that this is a full contact practice. And they're doing that. And they're going to take the, the maximum amount of opportunities you could in the spring. Now, they changed the rules in the fall. That's not going to be anyone's fault. But I feel like this was a beneficial this was beneficial to be able to go through hit as much as you possibly can i don't feel like there was an you know abundance of injuries because they were playing full pads they were tackling things like that that's something you needed to do and i feel like with Todd Orlando he wanted to show everyone this is how i want you to play this is how i want you guys to be physical it's about you want to learn a system you want to learn what they need to do you want to be you know you want to be thinking and and just reacting and going forward but you also want to be physical and i feel like this spring allowed them the opportunity to do that. And if you can't practice as much in full pads this fall because the NCAA changes rules, that's okay. But I think they needed this spring to be able to kind of get over that hump and sort of change the mentality on the team a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've heard a lot about the culture and how that's uh, instilled the culture. in the spring. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to him. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello. You are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, Dave. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Thanks for, uh, thanks for accepting my call. Sorry I didn't call the past couple weeks. I just wanted to let other people, uh, you know, interact and with the show. Of course, but, um, Dave. Since, uh, since it's less than, uh, since it's like roughly four or five days before the NFL draft, uh, I know this article came out a while ago by Chris Trevino, but, uh, he was talking about, um, the NFL, like, uh, it was like the NFL.com's, uh, I think it's like NFL.com releases grades for USC's, like, seven NFL, uh, combine invitees. And kind of the comments were, I was kind of surprised with were the grade was, uh, for Tolanoa Hufunga was a 5.99. And it said, like, you know, in quotes, developmental traits based prospect and, you know, in quotes, chance to be an NFL training camp. So I was just kind of surprised on that and like just kind of curious of what your guys' thoughts are on that, on those comments. And, you know, just, just kind of surprised from, uh, basically, you know, should have been probably a consensus all American, just kind of surprised of why the grade was like that and how like, you know, you're basically looking at a day three. I mean, it does say that, you know, the injuries are, are playing a factor in his, um, mm-hmm. kind of process, but like, are, are, are the injuries that big of a deal that, you know, we could pretend like some, in a quote, in quotes, like someone could potentially like get a steal with Rufunga or like he could potentially not even be a, a day two draft pick? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think the injuries were certainly something that was a concern, but you look at his tape, the production is not going to be a concern. I feel like that might have been a little harsh, the, the reviews that you've read. It's, it's going to depend on which scout you talk to and stuff. But I, th- I feel like a lot of people believe that Talanoa Funga has a lot of upside. So I, I think like a second or third round pick seems about right for him. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I don't know if he'll go second or third round. It, it, it'll be interesting to see where he does go. Um, you know, someone could have fallen in love with him and say, you know, we need to pick him now. But... I could also see him sliding down the draft because of the speed, because of the injury history. Um, he doesn't he doesn't jump off the the stat sheet at you as far as the Excel stat sheet when you're looking at every single safety prospect. But if you watch his tape and you say, "Hmm, 
I can put him here, but I can also put him here, and I can put him here, and I can put him here, and I can put him here. You go, look at all the different ways I can use him on defense. And if you have a defense coordinator that is inclined to move guys around and create mismatches like that, then I, I think that he can really excel. Now, if he goes somewhere and they try to stick him in a certain spot and say, we need you to do this, we need you to play like Ed Reed, then maybe he's not going to fit there as best. Now, if you need him to play like Troy Palomalo, we need you to be a natural, instinctive player. The fact that he's been training with Troy Palomalo, then that's the type of team you're looking for for him. So I think where he ends up in the draft, you know, what round is not going to matter as much as which team ends up drafting him because I think a team that really values his versatility and his playmaking ability, then we'll give him every opportunity to make the team and to become a starter and become a star potentially in the NFL. But if you have someone that kind of aligns and says, you know, we picked you in the second round, we need you to do this and this and this, and that's not his skill set, then I don't think you're going to get a very good fit for him. And it's going to, you know, he may be waiting on the second uh, team that he ends up playing for before he can really blossom in the NFL. And Chuck, I think you had a really good point there. He's been working solely with Troy Palmalo, the obviously the USC legend. He's not been doing all of the, the those kind of like uh, you know training for the NFL stuff, the combine stuff. He's really just been working one on one. And I, I think the analogy we gave was like Rocky Balboa and Rocky Four going to Russia and just like doing you know punching uh, you know stakes and stuff like that. He really was just going out there and just working with Troy Palmalo one on one. You're not going to get the same kind of buzz with scouts because you're not out there putting yourself out there with the kind of normal route that a lot of these guys would take going to the NFL. So maybe he's going to be a little underrated going in. But like Shotgun said, you just need one team to fall in love with him. And there's someone that's going to bring him in and say, hey, this guy might be the next Troy Palomalo. We want to bring him in. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing on that is that if he went the traditional route and went and you know worked in one of those combine facilities where a bunch of players go and work out and train – Maybe his speed does look a little bit better to a team. Maybe he does move up draft boards. But I think, again, it's it's a more important for him to land with a team that is going to use him in the right way than a team that falls in love with the fact that, okay, he's fast enough and we can play him in this certain position. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think this is the year because you don't have the traditional NFL combine. Those scouts love to be in the same environment. They want to be able to – I mean, they've been there doing it 20, 30 years. They've used their same stopwatch every year all that time. They've timed the same guys. It doesn't matter what their watch could say 5.0 and someone else at 4.2. They're comparing that time on their watch to what they did last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They don't have that opportunity this year because they're all going to be different tracks, all the kind of different stuff. So you might throw some of those numbers out the window because they don't get to do it in Indianapolis where you, where these scouts like to do it. They go on the road. They check out all these pro days. But it's really it's it's gonna it's not gonna be a really apples to apples comparison. So maybe some of the numbers that won't jump off the charts for Atalanta Funga don't matter as much this year, just because you don't get all of them in Indianapolis like you would in a normal NFL combine year. Just another thing of 2020, 2021 with <laughs> yeah. the COVID. How so it, weird. Every, everything's unique. <laughs> yeah. You know, you look at college basketball, the NCAA tournament or the college baseball tournament, uh, you know, the RPI selections. How are you going to measure those when teams weren't allowed to play as many non-conference games? You know, how do you measure the, you know, how do you figure out the college football playoff teams when, you know, certain conferences, you know, didn't play as many games? So all those things, everything is a little bit unique this year and it's going to continue into the NFL draft as well. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dave, for the call. We appreciate you. Uh, No shotgun. 
I have a couple more topics and we'll get into questions, but it pains me to give you credit, but I need to because last (laughs) week, I know, I know, last week on Tunnel Vision, he came in and he said, rewatch the tape of the spring game. Andrew Voorhees stood out to me. And that's what we heard from USC's coaches this week. So they also saw Andrew Voorhees performing. Shotgun, take it away. Have your, have your victory lap if you want. (laughs) Shotgun victory lap. I mean, it's not the first time I've got something right, Keely. I think it is. I'm I'm pretty sure sure that's the first time. I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, Andrew Voorhees looked good there. And I was actually surprised this week with the mixing and matching. uh, When, you know, when I was at practice on Saturday, and you're moving Jonah Monheim there, and you're moving Jalen McKenzie to the second team, and doing some different things, and putting Cortland Ford on the right side. A little bit surprised that we didn't see Andrew Voorhees at left tackle at all to give him an opportunity, give him a shot to build off that spring game. So a little bit, you know, he definitely stood out to me watching that game and looked really good out there. Now maybe they just think that you know he's one of the guys that they feel like is established in his one spot, and like he's going to be the left guard. Doesn't matter what else is going to happen. And maybe that's the way they're rolling with it. I, you know, the only the only position that I feel like is solidified is that Brett Nealon will be the center. Yeah. And then after that, it feels like there could be movement. There could be switching in and out of, of you know some guys can bump up from the second group to the first group, uh, or the second string to the first string because the drop off of the first group to the second group as far as the top 7 or 8 which are the first uh, the first group guys the guys that you would actually play in a game and feel confident the, there's a huge drop off of that second group so um you know i feel like they they maybe they the Justin Dedich they want to see him at guard see if that's a possibility they want to do some different things but i was a little bit surprised to not see Andrew Voorhees get a couple of you know get some opportunities more opportunities at least at left tackle after the way he did look in that spring game mm-hmm. that was interesting because it was sort of out of necessity right he probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have played there except for you know you didn't have Casey Collier out there and they you know they had this was great. We haven't seen this kind of a deep offensive line at a spring game for quite a while. And it's sort of like he sort of fell in that opportunity, but Shaka pointed out he looked really good when he was playing there. You watch the tape back, you're like, well, he didn't really, he didn't miss a play. Um, so yeah, I felt like this would have been a good opportunity this past week to give him a shot out there. Maybe they just wanted someone new at left tackle and they're going to like play around with some other spots. You, we saw what Elijah Vera Tucker did last year when you moved them out the left, you know, left tackle. Maybe Andrew Voorhees could have been the guy, but just from this last week, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Well, the fact that we didn't see him out there, but also Clay Helton's comments yeah. when I asked him about it and said, "Hey, is he a potential guy out there?" Because before camp started, or maybe it was the first week. Um, the first can, week, yeah. The, I, you know, Clay Helton was asked about the left tackle position, and he gave four candidates. He said the three the three young guys that came in last year, Jonah Monheim, Casey Collier, and Cortland Ford, and Jalen McKenzie. He said those are the four guys that are going to be candidates at left tackle. Okay. Well, Andrew Voorhees ends up playing there and looks good. Is, so I asked, is he a potential candidate there? And he said, he's, he's a candidate at tackle. But he, would, he didn't say left anywhere in that conversation. So, And I think he, it's more that he is, because he's played right tackle previously uh, as a freshman, that he is a reserve emergency option, So, which tells me I think they just like him so much in the interior as to why they want to stick him there rather than moving him out to tackle. But if someone goes down, then he's a potential option to move to one of the tackle spots. But primarily right is where they're thinking from the sounding and the words that weren't used in that sentence, I guess. <laughs> Wait, when you guys bring that up, I want to ask both of you. Sure. Do you feel, okay, so Jalen McKenzie 
played right tackle last year, right? Yes. Do you feel he's going to be the starting right tackle in 2021, or are they moving guys around? Are they going to try somebody else there? Well, that's what I was going to ask Shotgun, because he mentioned Jonah Monheim, and I think he's an intriguing guy to watch, because we've seen him maul people at Warpark High School. He was, he was, of course, high school is different than D1 College, uh, but I'm intrigued by him. We've seen him get some first-team reps. Uh, we saw Jalen McKenzie with the second group, if you will, so I think, of course, they're trying to get some more tape, but I am intrigued with Jonah Monheim. Yeah, he's a guy that I think, you know, I thought from his high school days that he would be an interior guy, but they put it in that tackle, and he continues to to make some positive strides there. So he got some opportunities at left tackle on Saturday um, and, and continues to make strides, and, you know, he's a guy that they, they think has a lot of potential. And I think that's the big key with those young guys, and maybe that's the reason why you don't move Andrew Voorhees, because you look at it and you go, okay, well, we got Voorhees for one more year. Do we then want to have to train a left tackle again, and then train a left tackle again? But yeah. you know, and it'll be it would be the third year in a row that they would be you know trying to replace a left tackle. Whereas if they can build up Cortland Ford, Casey Collier, Jonah Monheim, guys they see potential in, then you know the, one of those guys can take over and be the mainstay, and potentially you know two of those guys take over at the tackle positions, and now you've got your tackles for the next three years at least. Uh, and maybe maybe even longer than that, which, you know, if they get to a four, fourth year, then maybe, you know, they're off to the NFL if they're playing really well. But maybe the, for the next four years, they're your, you know, your bookend tackles. So that's why Jalen McKenzie is an interesting one. And maybe he can be a, a guy that moves because it's a similar situation. You got those older guys. You know, when you're playing NCAA, the NCAA video game, if you got two guys that are rated very similarly, one or two points off as far as overall, you play the younger guy because you know he's going to develop it and get better and better as, as his career progresses. So uh, maybe that's the way they're kind of looking at it as well. That's the thing with mixing and matching. It makes you go, wait, what are, what exactly are they thinking? Yeah. What, what is going on yeah. here? So it, it, it's interesting that they talked about how, yeah, we're going to mix and match, going to mix and match. <laughs> didn't do it. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Now we're seeing it. And now it gives us a little, even more questions and yeah. uh, fun hypothesis to try to try to figure out what exactly is going on there and seeing guys, what they can do with those new positions is the fun mm-hmm. part of it to me. Yeah, it's, it's my, there's something in my gut that's like, we might not see Jalen McKenzie at right tackle. I think he's probably going to start still, but they move him over. I mean, maybe they do some shuffling around. I, mean, I don't know. He's played guard before for USC. He has played guard so. before. I just kind of feel like Monheim might play, you know, start at right tackle. There's just something I'm feeling about. We'll see. We'll see what Interesting, happens. Interesting, yeah. Ryan. I don't know. Feel. Uh, now, <laughs> flipping over, defensive line, we got some news. We put it in the war room on Friday. Caleb Tremblay entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, Shotgun, what does this mean for USC's defensive line? I know that's an intriguing position group as a whole that we've talked about over the course of the spring. Yeah, they've been making a lot of plays. Different guys have stepped up on different days. We're seeing the young guys get in there and, and make some plays. But you're pretty thin depth-wise now. You have no experience depth right now that's practicing. Brandon Peely's going to be out for the year. You know, Ishmael Softshire, he's still a young guy too, um, even though he has a little bit of experience at Alabama. You haven't had him practice, so right now you're relying on Jay Toya. You're relying on Jamar Sakona, guys that haven't played you know snaps in, in college games, you know more than a handful for Sakona last year in some garbage time. Um, I think that means that Jacob Lichtenstein needs to step up. You know, that's the guy that has to fill a role and fill a void there, but it also means 
There's a playing time available for a guy like Corey Foreman to come in and make an immediate impact. A guy like JT Tuomoloau, if I'm, you know, if I'm the USC coaching staff, I'm selling like, look, we just lost another guy. We need, we need bodies. We, we need some guys that are going to play right away. And you continue to sell and sell and sell that as much as you can. Uh, but, but I think that they're going to, and because, Offensive line and defensive line, you always have some injuries in there. They've already suffered the Brandon Peeler ones. Schofter's been out. So if you get into the season and you lose a couple guys, who's going to fill those voids? You know, it's starting to become a little bit of a question mark, and that's why you're seeing them make a couple of offers to some transfers and stuff out there as well. Well, that's the thing is we heard from Clay Hilton. I think he was specifically asked, are you concerned about depth at all? And he said no. Is that just Coach Feek, Shotgun? <laughs> I think it is, you know, because – the offers tell you differently. You know, they went out and offered um, a transfer from Illinois State. Um, you know, the day before Caleb Tremblay made his uh, announcement public, so he had already told the the coaching staff. So their reaction to that was to go offer someone who has some experience. Because that's the thing. It's not that they they do have some bodies still, and especially when Softshire comes back, you'll have some guys in the interior. But you don't have any experience depth there. So that's a, a little bit of a concern there, even though they've made a bunch of plays this spring. Mm-hmm. The one thing is, like, players know what's going on, right? And we've seen Caleb Tremblay is a senior. He's been around for a while. We've seen some of these young guys perform pretty well. And I think you have to give Vixa Oto pretty high marks for what he's been able to do as a young defensive line coach. He's only, you know, he's only at Virginia Tech. He comes to USC. Seems like he's really, you know, found his, his space here. He's been very really assertive, and you feel like he's developing these guys well. You got guys like Jay Toya that have been great, Tulu Tulu Pelotu, guys that maybe you're like, ah, oh, they're like a three-star guy, and they're not going to be that great. They've played above the expectation we've seen going in there. You look at the defense. I'm looking at the our scholarship chart right now. Brandon Peely out, you know, Caleb Tremblay leaving. Trevor Trout's the only one that's a non-freshman on the roster right now, and we haven't seen much of him. He's not. He's, play anywhere. He's off the roster. Oh, yeah. see, oh, did he? Oh, he left the roster too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're going to have to get somebody to update that scholarship. I got a, oh, yeah, he's still on there. Yeah, <laughs> but everyone else is a freshman. So, like Jay Toya, you mentioned uh, Jamar Sacona, like Kobe Pepe, Stanley Tua, like I mean Dijon Benton. All these guys are young, and you feel pretty confident as far as what Vic Soto has been able to do to kind of develop these guys, but. There isn't a lot of experience there. There's just you know young talent that you're going to have to rely on, and you'll have to see how they do. And a guy like Dejon Benton is a guy that uh, I'm looking to see if he steps up. You know, he was getting some opportunities two years ago with the previous staff, uh, and didn't really get many last year. But this spring, we've seen him make some athletic plays, and yep. you know, use his athleticism to get into the backfield and make some plays. Can he push himself into, to, you know, even potentially a starting role there? You know, he's made enough plays, and the fact that they're very thin right now with experienced depth, then maybe he's a guy that can, can force his way in there as well. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to jump into questions. I'm going to start with Jasper Smith because it's related. He said, the Caleb Tremblay news was puzzling. Was it because he feels like he won't be in the rotation? I, I think that you there can be a, a number of factors there. You know, how you get along with a coach. You know, he's had some injuries at USC. Uh, so, you know, if a coach doesn't think that he's doing enough in the training room or something, then, you know, he may downgrade him as far as his own personal opinions on the, the depth chart. And if you feel like you're being slighted, then, you know, then maybe that's why you decide to do something different. Uh, there, there could be a number of reasons why that he went in. We haven't heard a specific reason. Playing time, maybe you look at it and the fact that some of those young guys are getting more reps this spring than he is right now. 
uh, or was before you know stepping away. So uh, maybe that t- plays into it. One guy we haven't even mentioned on the defensive line, but will be back in the fall is Nick Figueroa. You know, a guy who's yep. made a ton of plays and is an older guy, but he's not necessarily an interior defensive lineman. So yeah. the, the interior defensive line is where I'm having a little bit of concern about the experience depth. Yeah, yeah. no, that makes a lot of sense. A Trojan man for life says, do you think Hunter Eccles can play well enough to limit Corey Foreman's playing time? I think Foreman's a guy that you can play inside. So I don't think that it has to be one or the other. I think you can play them both at the same time, particularly in third down pass rush situations. I think you'll definitely see either Drake Jackson or Corey Foreman bump inside. Um, Foreman actually is be, had been recruited, and we'll see when he gets on campus if they change their mind or move him around or do some different things. But he's at Drake Jackson's position, so not necessarily the same as Hunter Eccles. So I don't think that it's an either-or necessarily there. Yeah, I think Corey Foreman's going to play, but low-key, Hunter Eccles has been one of, like, he's been a standout, I think, on this defensive line or defensive you know, front seven for USC. So he's, I think he's earned himself a lot of playing time in 2021. Shotgun? Thoughts on that? I mean, he had a, a interception on Saturday. Yep. He's continued to make the, the thing that he hasn't made a ton of tackles necessarily or interceptions or tip balls or anything, but he's doing all the small things that you need out of that position. He's setting the edge. He's getting in the backfield and, and pu- pushing the pressure up to someone else. Uh, and then, of course, Vic Soto is yelling from the sideline that it's immediately a sack. sack everything sack, sack. everything is a sack to sack. Vic Soto. Um, I'm just like, play it out. Just let him play. Let's he go. He gets so frustrated during practice. But yeah, no, I was going to wonder, like, I wonder what Eccles would look like in live football because I know sometimes he's like pleading with the rest. That was a sack. I swear that was a sack. So <laughs> not sure about that, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, and that's that's actually the big thing for him. And one of the reasons why Vic Soto needs to let these play out, for Hunter Eccles at least, he's got a ton of pressure so far in his career, doesn't have a ton of sacks. His Sack to pressure rate is pretty low. So he has to get to the quarterback. He's done a great job of getting to the quarterback, but not necessarily getting the quarterback on the ground. So that's the area where he has to take that step of progression. And, you know, th- this is the time in someone's career that that's when you expect that those type of steps to happen. You know, when a guy gets to their third or fourth year and, you know, they're touted coming out of high school, you expect, okay, if it hasn't happened yet, now's the time to make that jump. And sometimes that's what it takes when a guy gets, you know, when they start realizing, Oh crap! I only got a year left. I only got two years yeah. left. I got to start making more plays, and they, you know, they work a little bit harder. They watch a little bit more film study. You know, all those ha- small habits that you think yeah, as a freshman you may go, yeah, I'll get to that. You know, I, I got some other stuff. I want to go explore the campus or whatever it is. Um, and not saying this is about Hunter Eccles, but just in general. So you know, maybe it's the time for him to take that step forward. And if he makes that progression, when you have Drake Jackson and you have Corey Foreman. And the fact that Nick Figueroa is constantly in the backfield when he's in a game could be, you know, the the pass rush could be pretty scary for USC next year. Yep. Yeah, you got to finish. You got you ever the friend that was like a great ball handler and he would you know, dribble through people and just would miss the layup at the end. You got to finish. So hopefully Hunter Eccles this year is going to be able to finish. <laughs> got a friend who's a great ball dribbler, like in in you pick can, up basketball. Do you, you have your friend? Did you just that, make a basketball reference. I just I think made that's a basketball she's, reference. She's yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a little shocked right that's, now. But it's fine. We have uh, from Scott on uh, Periscope. Sure. How do you guys feel about the running game in 2021? I think the 
running backs, I, I and Clay Helton talked about this, but I think Keontae Ingram and the addition of Brandon Campbell as well have kind of put a little bit of a fire into the running back position, position as a whole. I think they're running uh, more intense this year. And I think, and we've talked about this before, but I think uh, spring camp for running backs, it's just a little different. You know, there's it's kind of like a 75% type of thing, but I think they've been running hard uh, so far this spring camp. And so I think having extra competition has boosted that position group overall. Yeah, even without Kristen, I think Ingram looks like he could be the starter, but Shotgun's boy, Stephen Carr, I think he's been playing really well too. So I feel like the, the running back group in general is going to be better. Will Clay McGuire get the offensive line to kind of open up holes and third and two, fourth and one, those kind of things. Were you able to just pound through and get that happening? And will the running backs be able to just, you know, get in some space, maybe catching a double off pass, whatever it is, make some big plays out of that running back spot. Just the majority of the big plays have been coming from the wide receivers. You want to see these running backs be able to make some big plays. So I'm curious to see if that happens. Yeah, when there is that big hole, then they have to take advantage of it. They can't it can't be a seven yard game. It needs to be it needs to be 20, 25, 40. You know, and that's why Keenan Kristen is such a dynamic weapon that you would like to see them be able to deploy a little bit better and find him, you know, some spaces so that he can, you know, turn a four-yard run into a 40-yard run. Um, but I think you're seeing from Keontae Ingram, Brandon Campbell. We see Brandon Campbell has, has flashed a lot this spring. Now, it's yeah. not the consistent, you know, he's picking up five yards every carry, but, you know, he has he's had multiple touchdown runs where you kind of go, hmm. Interesting. The freshman making some plays out there. We'll see how much he's picking up all the playbook, you know, is he pass blocking, all that other stuff. But the fact that he's catching eyes early is a positive sign. And again, like Ely said, I think it put the more pressure you can put on the guys that are incumbents, that's the better. That's, that's creating the competition that you want. Elevate everyone's game. And if those guys don't elevate their game, then they'll fall to the wayside and the new guys will rise above them. So that's what you want. You want constant competition. I think Keontae Ingram has been the toughest running back to bring down consistently yeah. th this spring. Um, and I think he's making his mark. And again, same thing with Campbell. New playbook. You know, you got to be, be able to uh, pass protect in this offense. You got to be able to pick up the blitzer. All those type things. Can those young guys do that? Still to be determined, but they definitely are making some plays when the ball is in their hand, and that will put some more pressure on Vivai Malapai, Stephen Carr, and Keenan Kristen when he's back from track. Mm -hmm. You would have to think that Vivai is going to be like the leader of the clubhouse, right, to get the, the start that first game. What are the odds that it's going to be somebody else? I mean, I, I went last week and I said, I think Ingram looks like the starter right now, but do you guys feel like anyone can pass Vivai? Like, he seems to be a favorite uh, of Mike Jenks. The problem, though, is that Vi and also Stephen Carr have injury histories. I was about to so, say. So, you know, you would have said that going into 2020, but Vi didn't start because he was banged up at camp, didn't practice. So that I think it's going to be the same thing. He has to, you know, he has to be out there and practice during fall camp and, and prove that he should be the guy um, instead of being on the sideline and watching. You need him in there, out there making plays as well during camp and, and to know that he's ready to go. And – I'm still curious. Jinx has talked about having one back, and I think we're going to talk to him this week. We'll get him, yeah. Vi, and Stephen Carr. Or at least that's the schedule. Yeah, doesn't always work out the schedule, but but <laughs> is he going? To, is are they sticking to the fact that he said previously, "I want to have a basically a bell cow running back. I want one guy to lead the charge, and we'll have one guy that can sub in for him, rather than having four guys, and we're trying to get." You know, we're randomly throwing Keenan Kristen in for one snap at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and that's the only time you see him in a game. Yeah, yeah. Is that going to be the case? <laughs> we, 
coaches say stuff, but it doesn't always come true. You know, the mixing and matching of the offensive line. We've been waiting for three weeks before that happens. So, and maybe their schedule's on a little bit different than ours. But sure, uh, we're impatient. Yes, I'm always impatient. We yeah. wanted to see that two weeks ago. But, uh. um, but so it. Are we going to wait three games for that to happen, and let's give everybody a little bit of trial run and see, and then we'll decide on a you know a prime running back, or is it going to be that way from the beginning of fall camp? Is it going to be that way from the beginning of the season? No, it's still to be determined on those. Yeah, and like Shotgun said, it's a long way to the first game. A lot of things can happen health wise between then, so I'm holding out judgment until like maybe the first week before uh, uh, the first game. <laughs> I should I should point out. That in the YouTube comments, Keenan Kristen Sr. says that Keenan Jr. will be ready to roll. Okay. Nice. There we yes. go. Thanks he for watching. He did tweet something or post something on social media about track. So, I mean, you know, seems like. he was like, he was benching or lifting something heavy. Oh, he's, he's ridiculous. He's a beast. Yeah. yeah no, he's a beast. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. We talked about this before because he's, he brings something different to the running back room. The speed that he has, the explosiveness, not being there. And you see a guy like Brandon Campbell come onto the scene. And you see a guy like uh, Keontae Ingram. And you feel bad. Like, hey, you want to see what Kristen can do too. And, you know, the fact that he's not around is it, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not helping him right now, but he's got to come into the fall and really kind of show the coaches, hey, man, I'm ready to go and see what he can do. He needs to find at least a niche for himself because he can bring something to the table that really none of these other running backs can do. Yeah, and you know he has to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. He has to, you know, pick up the blitzers. Those are the type of things where you know, especially as a smaller back, if they bring a linebacker and he's six two two forty, are you going to be able to pick that up, or is the quarterback now is the play kind of thrown off and the quarterback has to scramble out? Those are things he'll have to show in fall camp and, and to try to prove himself. We had a couple more comments on, on uh, running backs in the in the YouTube, and there are more comments than questions, so I'm going to get to them right now. <laughs> okay. Jasper Smith said that, that he doesn't trust. Uh, Ingram with his fumble history at Texas, he cost him multiple games with costly fumbles. We haven't seen him we drop the ball at yet. all. Yeah. Not, so, not, not once, I don't believe. And I believe that was two games that he had that, and I think he was feeling the pressure of B. John Robinson being on his heels. And I think he's gone, he has surpassed that hurdle. Now, you know, once you get in a game and someone puts their helmet on the ball, maybe the ball pops out. Maybe it doesn't. We'll see. Uh, Jack Shoemaker said Vi is the most consistent. He never loses yards and is always fighting for extra yards forward. It's a very good point, and this is part of the reason why the coaches love him is because he does all the small things they ask, whether it's picking up the blitz, whether it's you know catching the ball out of the backfield, all those small things that add up. He's been the most complete guy for them in the past and why he has been the starter. And when he gets chances, when he gets 20 carries, he goes for 100 yards. You know, it's not like he's uh, getting a you know an average of three yards per carry for every game or anything. He's just getting a couple yards. He doesn't have the speed, which is what Jones says. He's he's too slow. He's not too slow. He doesn't have the speed of a Kenny Kristen. He can't break a run for you know eighty yards. He's going to get tracked down. However, he's going to he's the guy that's going to give you potentially four 15-yard runs because he breaks a tackle and then gets out. And the question is for USC's offense. Does speed matter if you don't block? Because there's been so often they've had to break a tackle in the backfield and then try to gain yards. So if they can start opening up holes, that changes the dynamic of what you're looking for from your running back as well. So that's a, a that could play into the choice of who is the running back uh, as the season goes on as well. Mm -hmm. 
We're almost at the top of the hour. Uh, we have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to him and then come back and get some rapid-fire questions in. Also, if you want to put your questions in, rapid-fire questions in, in the chat, be sure to do so. Uh, but let's go to our next caller. I believe it is Rick from L.A. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, fight on. Hello. What's your question hey, for the team? Yeah. Hey, fight on. Okay. I wanted to ask if Jackson Dart – I know it's crazy, but I wanted to ask – if Jackson Dart played better than Keaton Slovis in fall camp, what would the coaches do? And I have a couple of reasons. Like, I think the offensive line plays more like a, a more co- cohesive unit when Jackson is back there. And, like, the fact that he's a run threat gives them uh, the ability to get in position. They were, like, moving the line, you know, getting position, opening holes. He's, he's a threat to run. And, like, Keaton used to be a threat to run, but he doesn't run anymore. But Jackson always has that threat, which gives the, the defensive line a pause and allows them to get in the position. And I just think his presence in the pocket right now is looking crazy for him to only have the nine practices with, you know, the spring game. Like, right. the development he's going to have over the summer, the more comfortable he's going to get. Like, I just think he's showing so much poise for me. And I just wanted to know if in fall camp his numbers were better than Keenan, what would the coaches uh, the decision make? Hey, Rick, Thanks, real Rick. quick. First of all, no. But second of all, what did you think? Okay, if you're still on the line, uh, what did you oh, okay. did you like Jack Sears? Did you cut him off? No, he's you're you're live. What did you th- did you did you like Jack Sears to be the starter for USC back in the day, a couple of years ago? Rick, not there. Maybe he was, it. but we're not doing that right now. Oh, okay, sorry. Okay. Right. I'm no so, doctor, but I think what you're getting to is that uh, Rick has uh, backup quarterback itis. He has backup quarterback itis. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, Jack. If, Jack Sears is like third string at Boise State right now. Like, there's like, they just you just have someone come in. They have an attribute that you like, and oh, he's more athletic. He can move around a little bit more. Did, has he thrown for 400 yards in four of the last five games in 2019? No, but he's the next greatest thing. It's a shiny new penny. We want to see what Jackson Gark can do. I don't know if he's better than Miller Moss right now. So, no, I don't think he's going to be passing Keen Slovis anytime soon. The relationship Keen Slovis and Graham Harrell has is very strong. It would take a Herculean effort for somebody to beat him out, and I just do not see that happening. But this is a, this is a, a classic case of backup quarterback itis, as Keeley uh, succinctly put it. Thank you. Uh, shotgun, your thoughts? Um, the the thing that the issue I have with the caller is not that he really likes Jackson Dart what he does, but saying that the offense line has more cohesion when he's in there. I don't know how you would uh, have determined that from what we've seen. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, and those are things that we you know that are going on a little bit behind the scenes as far as making calls of the line is Jackson Dart ready to do that that's something we that we haven't necessarily seen to be able to say that yeah he can take over for Keaton you know if, if he plays better than Keaton in the fall then he will have won the backup job and that's what it will be um, the experience that Keaton has in the offense Graham Harrell is going to more than likely go with that uh, it, it's not the same as you know Jack Sears and Matt Fink battling with JT Daniels um, I think that JT Daniels was able to take a step above because none of those other guys have proven themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas Keaton Slovis has proven what he can do in the past. Now, has it looked the same as 2019? No, not exactly. And that's a concern because of the arm injury coming off that, lost the confidence. 
So he's still building himself up, and I think they still have confidence that he is going to be able to get back to where he was in 2019 before that injury in the Holiday Bowl. So, And like Ryan said, the rapport that he and Graham Harrell have, the relationship they have, yeah. I don't think that you're going to see. You know, It would take a – Ryan used a very good word, the Herculean <laughs> effort um, to, in a – you know, a drastic difference between the two for, for Jackson Dart to, or Miller Moss, either one, to jump over Keaton Slovis in the fall. There's a reason that Keaton Slovis takes all the one reps. Everyone else, the other three quarterbacks, have split the two reps. Yep. You know, it's, it's a very big divide between first and second string yeah. there. So, um, and the fact that you're seeing Jackson Dart, I mean, in the spring game, he was with, a first offensive line. It wasn't the first offensive yeah. line because of the mixing and matching. But he hasn't he hasn't gone with the one offensive line. So that's again where I would have issue with saying that the the offensive line has better cohesion because the offensive line, the second group offensive line, has really struggled the entire camp. Yeah. Also, not to beat up on Rick, but he's breaking a shotgun and eyes rule. <laughs> Don't make big conclusions off of a spring game, especially a spring game <laughs> in the middle of camp. Okay, it's I know. It's I like easy. how you've now made this your rule too. I said it on the podcast. Uh, so yes. Yeah, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll chip in. But, okay, yeah, my rule whatever. Too. But thanks for the call, <laughs> Rick. Uh, let's dive into some more questions. Uh, your mom's fave, ninety one, says, "Who will carry the team this year, offense or defense?" I'm gonna say the defense. Like I feel a little more confident in the defense, which is weird going into this. I feel if the offensive line can put things together. To, for USC to make it to like the Pac-12 championship and, and, and win a Pac-12 championship, the offense is going to have to play at a higher level than they did in 2020. But I have a lot of confidence that the defense is going to take strides forwards. Maybe not be amazing, but be, you know, better than last year and be, you know, in the top, you know, two or three in the Pac-12. I just, I just have a little more confidence in the defense for whatever reason. Still got some concerns about the defense. Um, you know, the secondary. Who are you going to play to begin with? Sure. Are you going to have the bodies? Uh, so there's a little bit of concern there. I think if their pass rush can be as good as we think it can be, if it shows, it proves to be that way, then that changes the whole dynamic for them because that covers up a lot for the secondary and having young players back there potentially. So uh, the defense can carry the team, but the offense has the returning weapons that you are looking for to throw to Drake London. Um, and if they get the running game going better, which I think they will under Clay McGuire, then I think the offense still plays. And I think it actually ends up being, you know, more 50 50 than it has been in the past. Um, I think the defense has definitely made a lot of strides and will be very good, but I think the offense can do the same thing this year as well. Mm -hmm. What so do you think, Keely? I want to say defense, actually. There you go. Steve. I just think the culture will win out. I, I don't know. I got to see more live football to really give my opinion there. Where is that fine if the culture wins out? Because that culture will then invade the offense, hopefully, sure. for USC's sake as sure. well, that you know they become more of a physical running team. Because there was something I pointed out last week is that you know one of the fourth down stops that they had, Jay Toya had good penetration to the line of scrimmage. The offensive line didn't go backwards. They just didn't get a push and go forward, and there was just nowhere for the run runner to go. Everyone had their blocks. They just weren't getting the push. So physicality, getting stronger with Bobby Steiner and the boys, uh, you, you know, if that takes place, then that's what you want. You want that physicality to then trans, uh, transition from the defense to the offense, and the offense becomes, you know, more physical, uh, ground-and-pound potential uh, uh, on the team. Sure. But well, as, until we know the starting offensive line, I think by default, I'm going to say defense. defense Valid yeah. point. Yeah. Bobby Snyder and the boys, that could be like a, 
Yeah, it's like a, it's a rock it's, band or something. It's I like, like a, a 90s R&B group. Shotgun and I have said it multiple times. Or I he love, has on instant. I do I love it. You keep just kind of consuming everything that I do. Like, yeah, it's, was, us. it's us. That was Killing my accident, credit for Shotgun. everything Shotgun <laughs> No, said, I don't want credit for that. So that was purely by accident. All right, where do special teams land? Like, do you feel I, special teams might even special edge. teams should never carry a team, Ryan? <laughs> I know, but do you feel I feel like Ever. overall, like their average grade might be higher than both the offense and defense. I just I have a lot of uh, confidence in Sean Snyder. I think they're going to play well. Sure, but <laughs> the question was carry the team, and it's a third of the team. Come on, man! It's special yeah, teams a are third important. of the team, um, and special teams plays about twenty, about thirty snaps a game. He counts, Ryan. So yeah. the offense defense plays sixty to if you're got right. a really good offense, a hundred. But on a scale, what would you say? So like, it's not do you feel truly like, a third. Do you feel like special teams are six. going to play about average, a little bit better? Like overall, where would you say? Are you they... just making up your own questions now? <laughs> yeah, making up. Okay, go for it's it. It's our show. We can make whatever. We yeah. Say. So the special teams, I think that you know, um, your punter. I was thinking Tilby for some reason. Wow. Also geez. very tall uh, punter, uh, but Ben Griffiths. Australia. Continues country, yeah. continues to boom punts. Um, I think he can be used in different ways this year. Whether you're kicking, you know, corner kicks or angling kicks, they have potential dynamic punt and kick returners. I want to see Gary Bryant produce something there, but he's got to stay healthy. Yeah, um, you can. Keontae Ingram could be back there. You got some young guys that are coming in that could potentially be guys. So there's some options there. Do they have an Adoree Jackson? No, I still don't think that there's anyone that, that has that electricity like Adoree had when he was returning kicks and returning punts. Um, so, but they can be solid in those, and that's all you're looking for. You know, just don't hurt us. <laughs> that's that should be the yes. USC special teams mantra. <laughs> I've just been saying that for us. years. Yeah, and we're going to hear from them on Thursday. At least that's the schedule. So we're going to hear from uh, Sean Snyder. Uh, Parker Lewis and Ben Griffiths on Thursday. So we'll see. There you go. Uh, reminder, guys, it is rapid fire time. So rapid fire answers would be appreciated. Oh, Keely's taking shots at us. We have a question from Gorilla that says, does this team have the potential to be the best air raid offense ever? No. <laughs> okay, you can expand a little Damn. bit. Well, you said rapid fire. Okay. Um, no, because I, I think the the most elite air raid offenses that we've seen so far have been ones that have the extra dynamic of a mobile quarterback yeah. that when things do break down, suddenly Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield makes something special happen with their legs along with the offense overall just creating a ton of yards you know, by throwing to, to open spaces and open grass. Yeah, I think it's how you define the air raid thing. If you're just like full on Mike Leach air raid versus just like, you know, we've seen some of these Oklahoma teams just be like a, way more dynamic than what we've seen being USC. And, and Shaka nailed it. You don't have the aspect of a running quarterback going in there. But as far as like just the, you know, the passing sort of air raid where you just run into grass, throwing the football. I mean, this, this team certainly could be up there. The big question marks being on the offensive line, but you know, we'll have to see how that comes together. They do now have an air raid offensive line coach to go with the air raid offensive coordinator. That's something they haven't had the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. A question from Mark Watkins, who said, more predictions, which Trojans get drafted this week and which round do they go? Well, there's seven guys that, that are yeah. potential guys. I think we're looking at five. First two days. How many do you think in the first two days? Oof. You know Elijah Vera Tucker is like probably 15, something like that, right? Yeah. 
Um, Anyone else in the first two days? Is there a second or third rounder? You didn't think Talanoga uh, would be. Um, I don't know. He's he's kind of a mystery to me because yeah. if someone falls in love with him, then yes. If someone sees the Troy Polamalu light, you know, I don't want to put anybody on that same pedestal, but sees him as Troy Polamalu Polamalu light, <laughs> Words then are hard. Yes. I think then I would I would take a third round pick on him. You yeah. Know, if I if I can get you know like a. 80% production from Troy Palomalo, then yeah, then I would take a third-round pick on that. Um, but it depends on what a team has, what they're looking for, and what they see in him. So the, he's a little bit of a mystery to me. He could go anywhere, I think, from high-end, high-end would be second round, maybe late second round, to sixth round. You know, I, yeah. I think he's somewhere in there. He could be a, a, a very... Um, very malleable pick there, just depending on what a team wants, what a team looks for, and what a team needs. So he's an interesting one. I think that Elijah Griffin is a third day guy. I think that Amon Ross St. Brown should be a is going to be a second day guy. I think he'll be second or third round. He's just so impressive with everything he does, even though he doesn't have the size that you would ideally want on a wide receiver. Um, so I think he may be the only second day guy though. That. I'm trying to think if I or Tefele is another guy. Tefele, I, I think will if and he it again. This is the the COVID. <laughs> yeah, is, is so difficult because all he had was a pro day. Didn't play last year, but I think he's a monster. And I think I thought he was, had shown flashes, and you're like, oh, you can see where that potential is. The way he looked and the way he talked when we did talk to him prior to pro day, I think he's going to be a monster in the NFL. So again. Very different. I'm not in a war room or anything, but I would potentially take him in a second or third round pick as well. I think he's I kind of like tackle. one of those out of sight, out of mind guys. It might be tougher that he did opt out. To go in the first two days, I think would be, I mean, it'd be great. I think he's got a, I think there's a slim chance he could. For Talanoa, I feel he does have late second round upside, but his range, like you mentioned, I think is fairly big. I, if I had to bet which one would go on the second day between Talanoa and Amon Rossi Brown, I would probably bet Amon Rossi Brown. But there's still that team that falls in love with Talanoa could get him above them. You might see the majority of these guys going four, five, six, you know, six rounds, guys like that. Uh, but they're, I mean, a bunch of them, like you mentioned, uh, Jay Tafel, like they do have the potential to sneak into like the third round, that kind of stuff. But if I had to bet, I would say, Probably you're going to see the majority of those guys that, you know, all those NFL combine guys sort of slip to the later rounds. But I think, you know, a good amount of these USC guys are going to be drafted. Elijah Vera Tucker, first day for sure, probably first half of that first round. And after that, you know, if USC gets one or two more on that second day, that's great. Uh, you know, might not happen, but I think you're going to see all those guys end up being drafted. I think their NFL potential is just where these teams end up finding out. And it's got to be the right fit. they got to fall into the right slot. The right GM has to find, hey, this is the guy I want, and brings him in. That I think for Talanoa the most, there's going to be a GM that just really falls in love with him. It just depends where he does and where they want to bring him in. We had a question from Jerry who says, uh, who do you guys believe will be the starting linebackers? They just seem to be irrelevant at times like what we saw in the spring game. That's a really good point. There's, there's been some irrelevance there, right? Like we saw that mostly early on last year. They just, they weren't making the kind of plays. I mean, they looked really good at the end of the season. Kanai Malga yeah. and Raylan Goforth took huge strides. I think Malga is a guy that you know has taken that that veteran guy jump um, that I was talking about a little bit with Hunter Eccles. I think he's taken that, and I think he'll make a bunch of plays. 
those are the two guys until anyone else gets back on the field. Yeah. Until Solomon Tule Alapupu practices for a week, never throwing him into any conversation about a starting <laughs> job. Yeah. And the same thing is now with Jordan Yosefa because he's been out for two years now. So uh, until those guys get back out and practice for a week, I don't consider them uh, you know, candidates for a starting position. Mm-hmm. Jack Shoemaker says thoughts on Anthony Beavers. Comes downhill and he, he has his nose around the ball a lot. You know, they played him in the box at, at one of the safety spots in the box, and he's done a really good job of getting in there and, and being one of the guys that's in the pile kind of uh, often. Um, so he's a guy that, that, you know, all those safeties have you know pretty high upside, and we've seen some flashes from them. Who becomes the most consistent, I think, will be will determine who, you know, earns some extra playing time over any of the other ones. It's one of those things when you watch practice a little bit and you see certain numbers. Oh, there's 13, there's 15. These are the guys that you're like kind of watching. He just seems to be one of those guys that's in the right spot at the right time. And it's not always who's the fastest to get there. Are you instinctually moving that direction where the ball's going to go? And he just seems like one of those kind of guys. Chuck, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but another guy we've been mentioning, at least during practice, is Kalen Bullock. He's a guy who's kind of caught our eye this week. What what did you take away from him this week? Yeah, I thought he had a really good practice uh, on Saturday. He's a guy that, you know, they bumped him out to cornerback in, in the spring game. And, you know, if you go back and look at some of the offense highlights, he's a guy that's defending there, but he's also playing a new position that he hadn't played at all. Um, but, you know, playing safety, he's got – wire thin legs they call him sticks um you know that's the nickname that he's been given right now he's got to put on weight and you know i'm more concerned with actually the shoulders and adding weight there because he loves to come down and hit but when you're now when you take on a running back like a guy like marquis step was then you have concern when you know is the body ready to take on that impact at the college level versus the high school level. But I love the way he attacks his aggressiveness. You know, just attacking screens on some some wide receiver screens and running back screens, attacking the blocker, going through the blocker, around the blocker. You know, and going making plays behind the line of scrimmage. Made a couple of really nice plays like that on, on Saturday. Uh, so he's a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's a developmental guy just because he, the body needs some work. Uh, but down the line, he could be a, a special player at USC if he continues to build on the little bit of flashes that we've seen so far. we got a couple of Periscope questions. Sure. Uh, AJ, non-USC Pac-12 player who's going to be fun to watch this year. Do you guys have any thoughts? Jaden Daniels is the first guy that jumps to mind. Yeah. Uh, ZTF at, at Washington would have been a guy to jump to mind, yeah. but yeah. obviously suffered, I think, an Achilles injury. So he's out for the season. So that's unfortunate for, for Washington and him. Um, but I would, he's a guy that was making so many plays last year in the shortened season. I was looking forward to seeing where he would be at. Uh, but those are the first couple of names that jumped to mind for me. I, yeah. I think I. We don't know what's going to happen at Oregon. Uh, Anthony Brown, hopefully I got his name correct, mm-hmm. uh, the transfer from Boston College. I mean, we saw him get a couple touchdowns against USC. Seems like they, you know, potential to groom him to be the guy. Uh, just bringing, a, you know, such an athletic guy and just being able to make plays with his legs as well as his arm. If he's able to win the job and get Oregon to make another run again, I think he's someone that could put up some pretty big numbers. But it could be, like you mentioned, you know, Jaden Daniels. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I think there's some athletic quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and all of them have some potential there. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen him in all yet, but since you brought up Oregon, Justin Flo, yeah, uh, still, yeah. 
you know, he, he's the best linebacker I've seen in high school. So I would be excited to see him and Noah Sewell playing side by side. That could be very scary for, for Pac-12 offenses, especially with Kayvon Thibodeau in front of them. And Kayvon Thibodeau is being touted as, you know, a potential top five pick. Mm-hmm. Baby man. Is yeah. he still baby? Does D- he still count? DTR, yeah. like UCLA, like <laughs> UCLA was, they were gaining some traction last year. Could DTR be with that guy too? I, don't I mean, know. there's no player on their team that, that stands out to me like, wow, this is much watched TV. Um, DTR does some really nice things for them, and I think he can take a big jump. And UCLA should finally get a winning season. Um, and, and first, first step is winning an out of conference. I game. think they'll do that they too. Have, they haven't done that yet. So. Under Chip, under Kelly. Chip Kelly, Ryan's yeah. favorite fun fact. I love that fact. I think they'll do that as well, um, but consistency will be a question for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any more? Ryan, you said you had multiple Periscope questions. Oh, I'm sorry. We uh, One other one was we had, let's see. If uh, not, I'm going to go From Scott, uh, isn't a no-huddle offense a key component of the air raid? Not necessarily. You can go tempo, you can go tempo uh, and do a lot of things. The key is, is being able – I mean, they don't huddle up a ton as is. So it, it, the question is, are they going rapid speed? Right, yeah. It's a tempo um, thing. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to do that to, to be successful in the air raid. You do The fact that you go no huddle to keep a defense on the field and a particular defense. So if you bring out, you know, three tight end, I mean, three wide receivers and a tight end, and then you split that tight end out, well, they can't bring someone on to, to defend that's, you know, if Michael Triggs the tight end and he's a dynamic weapon – then they can't bring on a, a better defender in coverage. That's what you're looking for uh, in the air raid offense. You want to be able to run the same personnel out there and put them in different formations to, to create some mismatches and open up some holes. Uh, but that's not necessarily something they've done a ton of, creating those mismatches in the past. So looking to see if that happens more this year. Uh, sure. AJ, the one that brought up like the non you know, USC Pac-12 player. He sure. said, what about the running back for Washington State? So he's talking about Max Borgie. Yeah. Uh, you, so Washington State had their spring game yesterday. Borgie didn't play. I'm not sure why. It was injury or something. But certainly one of the more dynamic players in the Pac-12. You had Washington State with Nick Rolovich doing their spring game. They had a lot of fun stuff going on. But Jet Fish, I mean, they just went, I mean, they just had as much yeah. fun as they possibly could. You had Gronk. And uh, and Teddy Bruschi yeah. as the two captains. Gronk caught a pass from a helicopter, 600 feet in the air, set a Guinness Book of World Records. They really just wanted to have as much fun. Now, this is a team that's lost 12 straight games, so they need to create some sort of buzz. And they did that. Here's the thing, though. Okay, Kaylee. If okay. this was USC, you would be roasting them for not – they lost 12 games. How are you going to come out for the spring game and have fun? They should set the tone, yada, yada, yada. I know that you would have gone that route. Well, okay, so you have a new coach. So sure. I, I, I have no issues with what Jed Fish is doing. He's amazing on social media. Follow him. He's great. He's a great follow. <laughs> He's trying to break. They had 200 uh, Arizona football alumni at the game. They brought 5,000 fans to the game. I think you, you're doing what you have to do. You're taking over this program that's lost 12 games in a row. Kevin Sumlin, maybe the worst coach in Arizona football history. Like, And he's someone that people talked about bringing to USC – a few years ago when Clay Helton was struggling and obviously Clay Helton didn't get fired. Um, you know, Johnny Menzel, all that sh- stuff that was going on at Texas A&M, he was not able to recreate any of that magic. He cut out the media. He was just a disaster at Arizona. So Jed Fish comes in. This is his first opportunity. A lot of Belichickian stuff because Fish worked for Belichick. Uh, you know, obviously, Teddy Bruschi was a long time there. You know, Gronk. There was a lot of like sort of 
Patriot Way going on, but they had a lot of fun. I like what they're. I, I wouldn't have an issue with what they're doing. It's a new coaching staff, so you gotta try to create some sort of buzz when you're not winning on the field. And the whole point was they want to make it a fun place. Tucson's pretty cool. Get bring some recruits to Arizona, you know, to Tucson. So many of the top recruits in the state of Arizona leave and they go somewhere else. Bijan Robinson, you mentioned earlier, he's from Arizona. No, he went to Texas. Can you keep some of those guys home? They're trying to create that buzz there. So they're not, I mean, they're not a very good team right now, but I like what they're trying to do. They're trying to get this team back. It's like the Phoenix from the Ashes because they were pretty terrible for the last couple of years. Shotgun? Interesting. You say Phoenix from the Ashes when their rival is from Phoenix. <laughs> from Phoenix um, yeah. Tepe, but whatever it is. Yeah, the, the <laughs> thing with them is that get as much goodwill as you can right now <laughs> because they don't have talent. Um, so try to build up as much goodwill, especially on the recruiting side, like Ryan said. I mean, bring Gronk back. Like, he should be a mainstay. Yes. Gronk, if anyone's had a personal interaction with Gronk, he is everything you could want him to be um, in, you know, in a casual conversation. He's just so upbeat. He's so fun to be around. That personality you see on TV is no different than what he is in real life at all times. Um, he's just a giant little kid. And he has fun, and that recruits love that. Why would you not have him around the program as much as he would come around? So getting him back and having him coach a team, that's huge. Now, why does it look like the Patriot way, Ryan? Well, because that's the connections he has. So you use the connections that you have um, and then work from there and try to build more connections with the other alum and, and whatnot and having them bring them to the game. He's done a lot of very nice moves for Arizona to try to build some positive momentum while they can. Because you can build a positive momentum in the spring, can't build it in the fall if you're not winning games. Yep. Yeah. I will say, though, to your guys' point, our buddy uh, Michael Lev said, uh, quote tweeted Adam Schefter, and it was like, when has Adam Schefter ever tweeted about uh, Arizona football? So it, it did give some hype, some some publicity. So there yeah. you go. I think you need that. You you lost 12, 12 games in a row. You're not going to be like, hey, we're going to kick everybody's butt. It's like, hey, you want to generate a little momentum. And I think Jetfish is doing that. Now, they lose their first eight games of the season, you, that all that momentum's gone. Sure. But I think they're setting themselves up to just – Try to get some buzz. Get some more people in the stands. Maybe get some more recruits coming to visit because obviously the uh, the dead period ends. And in June, you're going to see a lot of official visits. This might create some of that momentum where you bring some guys on the campus that maybe wouldn't have come before. Mm -hmm. Shotgun, you touched on this briefly, but Unk wanted to know how does Dejan Benton look so far this spring? I mean, super athletic. And the fact that he's, he's making a ton of plays and the coaches are giving him opportunities, I think is a positive sign for him. I think he's a guy that will be in the, in the mix and in, in the rotation this season. Couple more questions before we wrap it up. Coley White says, "Do you see USC playing quote unquote vanilla against San Jose State and just attempting to win on talent alone?" I mean, this is a team that was really good uh, last year. I, I I feel like when you're on the defensive side of the ball, they they really want to come out and just be aggressive, and you want to see what Todd Orlando can do with all this offseason to kind of prepare and offense. They just they a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth from last year. I don't think you're going to see them go vanilla. I think you're going to see them come out and try to score a whole bunch of points and try to you know win this game you know fifty to twenty one or something like that. Ideally, you can be vanilla. Um, if you get to the fourth quarter of the Western Michigan game <laughs> and you need to break out something, then you break it out. But uh, if you can, then you stay as vanilla as you possibly can as late in the season as you can. You know, if you can get up 14 or 21 early in a game, 
then you stay vanilla as possible because so that your future opponents can't see anything. That's just you know the common process as a coach. Uh, you try not to, you know, if you're a pitcher, you try not to use all your pitches the first time through the rotate through the lineup if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You want to see another Jake Olson snap? Is what you're saying, Chaka? I don't see why you wouldn't want to see yeah, that. Yeah, you, you something like that. Yeah, that was, a, but that was a weird interception at the end of the game, right? That never would have happened against Western Michigan. They got that was a uh, pick six by Marvell Tell, I believe. Yeah, wow. after a Stephen Carr 47 yard run or 52 yard run. Wow, well done. Uh, Mark Watkins says, does Marlon Tuipiloto get drafted, or does the back condition drop him out of the draft? I think he gets drafted. Now, the one thing is those NFL teams will have those medicals, so they will be able to search through and say, ooh, this doesn't look good, or, oh, it's fine. That was four years ago basically now. So um, I, I think that's what it comes down to as far as I don't – the back hasn't been an issue for him. And is, is it something that, like, he missed a bunch of games this past year because of it? Um, he did miss a practice or, or two at one point. I don't know if that was last year or two years ago. While I can remember Western Michigan games, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what which year's games are going. I couldn't tell you what year that Western Michigan game was. Um, but, 2017, I believe. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if the, it's all about the medical records and what the team doctors looking at them determines. Because no one wants to draft a guy where you go, oh, you know, there's a chance that he could be done in two years. Yeah, I, think, I feel like with him, as long as the doctors don't dig him, the NFL doctors – the problem is his production was high earlier on the season when the linebackers weren't performing as well. I think the defense as a whole started playing better. And you didn't see as big of a numbers from him going forward. But I thought his production overall was good. But he just sort of was like a star the first couple of games and sort of kind of leveled off after that. And that happened twice now, right, Chaka? And we saw that in that, the 2019 no, that season. that basically happened every season. For sure, him, yeah. Where he had better production early in the season than late in the season. So, um, And the 2019 season, I think it was – over usage a little bit uh, and so I was wondering if they had learned from that in 2020 he played a, a, a hefty amount of snaps I don't think that he necessarily tired out with a six-game season but uh, I think it was partly more the linebackers started making more plays yeah. so his numbers declined a little bit at the same time they'll want to know what's a good comp for Drake London you know, I think that he's the one that said Mike Mike Evans. Yeah. Um, he said, I think, a slower Mike Evans, which I don't even know if that's accurate. The comp that, you know, Seth Dagey gave was that, you know, he and Graham Harrell played with Michael Crabtree or were at Texas Tech with Michael Crabtree. So that's who he sees in the similarities there being former basketball players and the ability to go up and get the ball on a jump ball type of thing. I don't know that I see him the same way. I think Evans is probably the best comp, but he's not as thick as Evans. So there's, I mean, it's a, it's he's kind of he's kind of unique, and it'll depend if he plays outside the entire time. You'll see much more if he is Mike Evans because he's played so much in the slot. Then it's a, a harder comp for me just because Evans at Texas Tech, I mean at Texas A and M, uh, wasn't a guy that was in the slot all the time. Yeah. But the thing is, watch his catch radius. Like, he can just catch a lot of balls that are out of the range of, of many other receivers. So I think it's one of those things that those guys have in common. That they were able to haul in balls that might not have been on the money. They were sort of in, you know, arm's length or whatever of them, and they were able to haul it in. I think London falls into that category. So there's that's one of the things he has in common with some of those guys. I haven't been tracking this as like a Chris Trevino status, but I feel like we've seen uh, Drake London play more inside recently. Shotgun, what do you make of that? I think it's part of the mixing and matching. Okay. Uh, I think that, you know, you probably, 
someone like Mike Jack, uh, Michael Jackson III, prior to the injury he had on Saturday, you feel like, okay, we're a little bit more comfortable with you knowing one position in the offense. Now let's start opening the playbook and using you outside and similar things like that or starting to experiment a little bit after getting a good idea of things through the first three weeks. Because uh, you do want to mix and match in the spring. Every coach wants to do that. Let me just see what I got in case there comes a situation where someone goes down. I need to throw someone else in there. Who do I feel comfortable with? That's what the spring is for. Uh, so these last two weeks, that's what they've been trying to do. So not taking too much away from it there. You know, we did see a nice slot fade from him, and that's something he can always do. If you get that one-on-one matchup and you get him against an interior DB, he's going to win that matchup pretty much every time. You remember what Kerry Colbert, we talked to him a few weeks ago, and he talked about the, you always had these guys that were established, you know, like, Tyler Vaughn's or Amon Ross Brown, these guys were in these established spots. It just seemed like now things were more open. And maybe we do see more of that rotation that Graham Harrell talked about when he first got to USC. We never saw. What do you think? Do you think we see a little more? The depth more of isn't it? even there to do that. Yeah. Which means you should be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> should be like, okay, we only got six guys, so let's actually use all six of them. No. Uh, but, the, but no, yeah. I don't see it happening. I don't see John Jackson, you know, rotating in frequently with them. Drake London will be on the field every single snap. They won't rotate him out at all. It's for better or worse. Uh, when Brew McCoy, if he takes over a job, it, you know he'll be the outside receiver on the other side and he'll play most snaps. Now maybe you have you know a couple drives where Garrett Bryant moves outside or whatever, but you know London will be on the field pretty much every sna- offensive snap that there is, and then maybe someone else takes one of those spots. Now that's the difference between. The previous years is that you were like, okay, Pittman's going to be on the field every single snap. Yeah. Okay, well, Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Ross St. Brown this past year, they're going to be on the field every single snap, mostly. Um, You know, Brew McCoy did sub in a little bit for Tyler Vaughn's at one point. But Drake London has become that guy. He became that guy last year. um, And even the second half of his freshman year, he's going to be on the field every single play because he's so dynamic and because they, for whatever reason, they don't think wide receivers get winded. You know, the right, wide receivers have to take themselves out. They don't ever like they can run three straight fades, and they won't. They won't say, "Hey, come out for a play. Go get him." It'll be the wide receiver tapping his helmet. They go get it. So, but if we get some Kyle Ford, we get some, you know Gary Bryant Jr. Like if if all those guys are fairly similar, maybe we do see more of them kind of rotating in. And there's you're always going to see, you know, Drake London. But maybe you see the other guys kind of mixing and matching. Believe it when I see it. Okay, because Devin yeah. Williams was a guy that could have rotated in too, and you know he would come in for a handful of snaps. He would get one drive per game or two drives per game. Yeah, I am with Shotty on this one. We'll see. Also, I don't. I we gotta wait on health status for Kyle Ford. I feel like he's still he's not doing contact. Did you read the war room? I I'm did. Just, just saying. <laughs> I did. Sources say he I, could he could be playing right now. He's sure, just not, I'm yeah. just saying USC and injuries. More yes, right, yeah. patience is probably better. True, fair, a couple fair more point. questions before we wrap it up. One is from Jerry who says, which of the incoming freshmen do you guys believe can contribute in the fall and have a chance of becoming a true freshman starter? Jay Toy is the easy one there. I think he's you know been a, a bull in a china shop just running through offensive linemen um, pretty consistently. So he's the first one that jumps out there. Uh, Dante Williams has, has talked up Sierra Wright, and with the depth issues there, maybe he's a guy that comes in and challenges. You know, that's a potential there. Prophet Brown's a guy I'm curious to see, just because I haven't seen him play much. Uh, I've watched a little bit of tape on him, but you know, he was more of a running back 
Uh, is he ready to be a cornerback or is he a developmental guy? I don't, I don't know too much about him yet, so I'm curious to see him as well. But, again, just the, the thin depth at the cornerback spot, maybe one of those guys can jump in the mix as well. Yeah, if you're talking about just truth, yeah, I think Toya is, is probably going to be the uh, leader in the clubhouse there. I mean, we, I think we talked last week with, like, newcomers, Xavier Alford, right? I think Shotgun mentioned, you know, potential starting safety. Uh, there, but Toy has just been really impressive, and I love what Vic Soto has been able to do with some of the young defensive linemen. So I have some confidence in in those guys being able to contribute. Mark Watkins says, uh, "How good is the Memphis wide receiver transfer?" Oh, uh, he good. He good. <laughs> is that your official answer, Shotgun? <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, Taj Washington, I believe, is his name. Um, put up big numbers for Memphis. Memphis has got a, you know, has had an explosive offense the last couple of years with Brady White, uh, Mike Norvell before he went to Florida State. And, you know, this past year he put up some some good numbers there. I expect him to come in and compete for one of those spots. It's interesting that the guys that they brought in recently are all smaller frame guys, you know, smaller stature, Katie Nixon as well as Taj Washington. Looking for Katie Nixon to make some more plays. Yeah. Taj Washington when he gets on campus, you're going to have to make plays immediately. If you want to get those opportunities, because you do have Kyle Ford in the wings, you do have Brew McCoy already, you do have Kyle, I mean, uh, Drake London, you do have Gary Bryant, and they're really high on Gary Bryant. But all that whole group outside of um, London and Brew McCoy, you're going to have to make some plays during your playing time. I think the other two guys have already done it. The rest of the group still got to showcase themselves. The big thing I want to watch, and it's just been intriguing to me, Katie Nixon. You got a, a senior. Uh, receiver coming in there. You talk to people at Colorado, and it's sort of been a mixed bag. There's like high potential. He caught what two touchdowns against USC a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I, we, you know, we've seen like uh, he had a, a drop against we were with Keen Slovis, I believe on Saturday it was. I want to see. Him, I think there's the potential there, high potential that he could make some huge plays for USC, or he could just be in the background and you never hear from him again. I think if he's able to have some kind of great production, it's going to be a big boost to this USC offense. He needs to be more consistent, for sure, from what yeah. we've seen in practice. Definitely more consistent there. Um, one more question, and it's from Gerald, who says, do you see Reggie Bush leading the tunnel this season? I'll leave this one to Ryan. I'm not uh, I mean, uh, the fact that he was welcomed back and it was a big deal, then we didn't really get to see him because of the 2020 pandemic and stuff. Uh, if they're able to get things going, if things are fairly normal, they will probably have guest people coming out, you know, especially seeing like what you saw at Arizona when you're bringing back former stars. I mean, USC doesn't want to be left behind. They want to be part of that, too. The fact that they are now able to embrace Reggie Bush, I think you could see something like that. It was, everything was sort of thrown off kilter in 2020. So if fans are back, you can tailgate, all that kind of stuff. I feel like, yeah, he would be a, a great candidate to, to bring back, and I think he would do it. But 30% capacity? If you're going to bring back Reggie, I feel like you got to wait for a full You want the crowd. full thing? You got to. We don't, I mean, we don't know what the capacity is going to be for, for sure. Like By the end of the season, maybe it's, you know, it's a lot more than that. Um, so maybe they do bring him back later. Also, on. you guys aren't considering the factor that it has to be a big game for Fox to be there because he's going to be on set. With Fox. So it's not like he can just ditch his responsibilities of work and just know. stop by the Coliseum real quick. Um, yeah. So I think you're going to wait for a game, you know, similar to the Utah game last year where Fox is already there, or 2019, excuse me, where Fox is already there and then he, you know, does his pregame thing and then goes and does the tunnel thing. 
and then can pop back in for the halftime show. I mean, that's a good point. If he's still doing, we don't know if if any roles have changed, but if he's still doing that, it would be hard. Even if he was at the Coliseum, like, do you want him to run out of the tunnel and then be like this objective reporter? I guess you know whatever he's like an analyst, but. I don't know. I'm not sure if, if that's going to be. He and Matt Liner and Brady Quinn are nowhere near objective when it comes to their all the Fair. Monitors, so. Yeah, that Fair. I don't think anyone bit. is expecting that of those <laughs> those three guys in particular either. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it would obviously it'd be a huge. I mean, people would love it. I mean, it would be something yes. huge for USC. Obviously, yes, yes, yes. Alrighty, guys, one more week of spring camp. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this show? You sort of feel like. You know, it's not there's not, there's not this ending practice, and we don't even think it's going to be like a full pad practice to the end. But I feel like what they've done, you know, building up to the spring game, and then maybe we just see a whole bunch of different guys going in there. I think they've it's to me it's been mission accomplished for spring football. There's been some physicality. There, there's physical hitting. You know, they're they're in there making this more of a you know we saw more of a spring game. It's fun for the players. You got the new strength and conditioning coach you know, putting his stamp on things. I feel like this was what they needed going into the offseason. It's going to be, you know, several weeks of player-run practices and the conditioning drills and all those kind of things before you go and roll into fall camp. If we get a quote-unquote normal sort of season and camp and all that, I feel like this was a good spring, you know, practice, good offseason to kind of build through all of it. So they needed, I think they've done what they needed to do to kind of set themselves in the right direction for a 2021 campaign, which it's pretty much win the Pac-12 or bust, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Shotgun, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that they've done some positive things this spring. I don't know if they've gotten all their goals accomplished because I think there's still still some some concerns on the offensive side. But the the culture that the defensive coaches have wanted to create, I think they're making strides in the right right uh, right direction. And, you know, it will have to continue with Bobby Steiner and the boys, you know, with the strength and conditioning this summer and the player-run workouts, all this stuff. It has to be a constant, you know, continuous motion when you have, you know, a football program where players are in and out in three to five years. So you constantly have to be working to improve. You can't ever rest on your laurels. So we'll see what they do, not only, you know, in the summer and going forward, but this week, you know, what do they do with this final week? Yep. Yeah. yep. We shall see. Bobby Steiner and the boys. Bobby Steiner and the boys. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of Tunnel Vision. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.